Pixar's beloved toys are back with Toy Story 4, a fun and very moving sequel to 2010's Oscar-winning Toy Story 3. This continues to follow the journey of Woody, voiced by Tom Hanks, also returning our original voice cast members, including Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear and Annie Potts as Bo Peep. And Toy Story 4 introduces new characters, including Forky, voiced by Tony Hale, Ducky and Bunny, voiced by Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele, Gabby Gabby, voiced by Christina Hendricks, and Duke Kaboom, voiced by Keanu Reeves. Joining us to talk about the movie are director Josh Cooley and producers Mark Nielsen and Jonas Rivera. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporters Behind the Screen. You're going to see it's a destiny. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. You got a friend in me. Producer Jonas Rivera joined Pixar in 1994 as an intern on Toy Story, and he worked his way up to become producer of Pete Docter Directed Up. This film won an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature and became just the second animated feature to earn a Best Picture nomination. In 2015, Rivera reteamed with Doctor on Inside Out, for which they earned an Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Additionally, Rivera serves as Pixar's Senior Vice President of Production. Producer Mark Nielsen joined Pixar in 1996 as a modeling and shading coordinator on A Bug's Life. More recently, Nielsen was production manager on Up and associate producer on Inside Out. Director Josh Cooley joined Pixar in 2003 as an intern in the story department. He worked as a story artist on the Academy Award-winning films The Incredibles, Ratatouille, and Up. He then earned an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay as a writer on Inside Out. He directed Riley's First Date, the Pixar short based on the Inside Out characters. Then in 2015, he was announced as the co-director of Toy Story 4, working with John Lasseter. When Lasseter stepped off the project in 2017, Toy Story 4 became Cooley's sole directorial debut. Joining us today are Josh Cooley, Mark Nielsen, and Jonas Rivera. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us here. This is really, really great. So Josh, how did it feel when you found out that your first movie as the sole director was going to be a Toy Story sequel? Oh man, (laughs) there's a lot of pressure, as you can imagine, doing another Toy Story movie. I love those other films so much and I got to experience them as an audience member. I didn't work at Pixar until later. So just... Being asked to be a part of this franchise in a, in a huge way is an extreme honor, but also terrifying at the same time, a lot of sleepless nights. I still can't believe it. I can't believe I got to work with this amazing crew and this amazing cast, and I'm so proud of it. Well, this film continues Woody's journey as he navigates his new life as Bonnie's toy, and he's reunited with Bo Peep. Would all of you talk about the story and the themes that you wanted to cover in this film? Jonas, go ahead. Yeah, Jonas here. We talked a lot about wanting to somehow honor the nostalgia and the things you remembered about the first Toy Story films and things that people have grown up with now and yet push it somewhere really different and shape it in a way that made it feel completely 
completely new to audiences. But we did look back at some of those themes. You know, these movies, when you strip them down, they're always about relationships and friendships and kind of working relationships. And so I, I think we built on that. And I would say one of the things that was important to us was transition and sort of renewal in some way. I mean, this is a, a new era in Woody's life. He's navigated the waters with Andy and landed on his feet. And so this was a little bit of him starting over. And that was interesting to us. Mm-hmm. And I think something that's also somewhat human, you know, I don't know, I, <laughs> we talked a lot about we're pretty resistant to change as just human nature. And we thought, well, Woody could be too, and we could maybe dramatize that. So I would say kind of change and transition and it was sort of the thematic elements we talked a lot about. Fellas, do you agree with me? Mark, what do you think? I, I think that was, I think that was be- <laughs> beautifully said. You know, I think there's empathy also kind yeah. of one of the themes in this. I think there, there's a few threads in this film where characters are, you know, at first perceived to be one way, but once you get to know them, we go a little deeper with those characters. You see that there's more going on with them than you thought, and that you know, if you hear someone's story, you can really kind of change your perspective and just reach out to them, kind of in love. And so that's part of it as well. Well, let's talk about some of those new characters. Yeah. Um, let's start with Forky. So this <laughs> is a spork who was created by Bonnie and is now a toy, but still thinks he's trash, at least yeah, initially. Right. Um, and he's voiced by Veep's Tony Hale. Tell us about his design his and design. character. Yeah. yeah, whenever we're thinking about Toy Story movies, it's always about uh, you know what are the toy truths, is what we call it, of being a toy or how kids play with toys. And one of the things that we've noticed is that our kids will pick up anything and start playing with it. You know, it's a pick up a rock and all of a sudden it's a truck or whatever it is. And we were joking around one day and thought, well, what would happen if that was in the Toy Story universe. Like, would that mean that that rock is now alive? And just those questions that are just stupid questions that we were just joking around with, we started thinking, what would happen if we did do that? What if we had an arts and crafts project that came to life and didn't understand anything that was happening, had never seen Toy Story 1 through 3, so doesn't know the rules of the world or how he's supposed to act or anything, and what would that be like? And Forky was kind of born out of this idea. And the great thing about him, though, is we realize we can use him as a way to force Woody to explain what it means to be a toy and also to kind of get even deeper inside Woody to explain how he's feeling and what's driving him more than he would speak to his best friend, Buzz. He would open up to this childlike character that's just asking why all the time. Everyone, I want you to meet Forky. Golly, Bob Look how long his arms are. Trash? (laughs) No, no, toys. They're all toys. Trash. No, no, no. That's the trash. These are your friends. Hello. Trash. No, no, it's okay. Trash. Woody, I have a question. Um, Well, actually, not just one. I have all of them. I have all the questions. Uh, Why does he want to go to the trash? Because he was made from trash. Trash. Look, I know this is a little strange, but you got to trust me on this. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. And then when Woody and Forky venture into the antique store in search of Bo Peep, they meet Gabby Gabby, another new character who's voiced by Christina Hendricks. Tell us about her. Gabby Gabby has been sitting in this antique store for 60 years. She's never been purchased. She is broken. Her voice box is broken. She's the same kind of talking doll, kind of like Woody. When Woody comes into the antique store, she sees his working voice box as a way to get out of there. And uh, so that character... We've never really done a doll in Toy Story, so I was really excited to do that. And then to also put her in this antique store is just creepy. We did a lot of research at antique stores, and there's always 
some creepy doll in the corner for sale <laughs> and a bunch of ventriloquist dummies. They're everywhere. And so we just went with what we saw. And I just love the idea of treating her like the godfather in a way of this place. And Woody is uh, kind of being lured into her web. She was some sort of huge spider. Let's talk about the antique store. It's a new world in the Toy Story universe, and it is creepy. And this was designed with production designer Bob Pauly. Bob Pauly, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration for that world. We went to a lot of antique stores. All 20 of us would just randomly show up at an antique store. The people would be like, what is happening? <laughs> they thought it was going like, to be the biggest sale day, so we felt bad we had to buy stuff. We bought a lot of garbage, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Polly was the original designer of Buzz Lightyear in the very first film, so he's one of the old schools. But that antique store, we built it, designed it, and it has over 10,000 items in it that we all have set dressed in there. And just to make it feel like it's old and that you can... I kept saying I want to be able to smell it. When you're watching the movie, I want to be able to kind of smell it, which is the dust in the air, the spider webs, all the, the stuff. There's just so much stuff in there. It was really fun to, to create. It also felt cool stories because it was like purgatory for a toy. Like it's always worst thing ever. Have you ever gone to antique stores with your kids? They never want to go there, you know, because there's nothing in there for a kid. So even if you were, if you were a toy in there, it felt to us like, oh, that would really be, it's a long waiting room if you're ever going to get out of there. So that felt interesting to take the toy world there, you know. Especially this one, because it's got a carnival outside. And so the toys that are inside can actually hear children laughing <laughs> yeah, and playing that they want to be with, but they're on the other side of the glass. So some Easter eggs that we should mention that are yeah. in the antique store. One of them is a painting of the dogs from Up yeah, playing poker, yeah. which is great. And um, another one, Jonas, you have a shout out on this one, um, Papa Rivera's Pure Pork oh, Lard. Yeah, the low-fat lard can. That is in there. That was in A Bug's Life. I think that's where the bug bar was. One of my favorites in there is uh, from Jerry's Game. It's it's like an old black and white photo of Jerry from the short film Jerry Game. <laughs> that's right. That, that's kind of behind Margaret at the, at the store counter, and, and it's like an old boy friend or something kind of pinned <laughs> up on the back wall. I love that there's one that's a couple shots. I think there, there are monster scream cans for sale from Monsters, Inc. Somehow yeah. they got a hold of scream cans and are selling them in the <laughs> store. <laughs> and now the sound also creates that creepy feel in the antique store. And as I understand it, there's at least one reference to The Shining. Yeah, there are a few references. I mean, Toy Story, uh, I, I guess it's Lee Unkrich that probably it has to be Lee. from the very first Toy Story, even the, the carpet in Sid's house is the, the carpet right. from The Shining. Right. But in this film, we have that going. I'm a big Shining fan as well. And so in the antique store, the record that plays is the same song that is playing in the, the ballroom scene in, in The Shining. Also, there's the owner of the antique store. Her address of her house is 237. So another new world is the carnival, which you mentioned yeah. outside of the antique store. Tell us about the creation of that. Yeah, that's another place where we did a lot of research trips, went to a lot of just local carnivals that would come through town. And we'd go in there with our cameras, but we kind of wanted to really get the feel for it from a toy's perspective. So if you were at your local carnival and you saw our crew, they would have been the ones kind of crawling around on the ground underneath the rides with their cameras, with toys in their hands. Yeah, those guys. Literally, you know, trying to just capture what's it like for these toys, because it's kind of a terrifying environment for a toy to try to get across in the middle of a busy carnival to get from one ride to the other. And so we wanted to kind of explore that and make it really feel believable. It's also full of games, right, with these carnival toys that uh, I guess you could say that's one notch worse than, a, than an antique store. Those, they're like it's, live bait. It is. It's the worst existence of a toy, I think, ever. It's just hanging there in a game trying to be won by kids that want you. 
and you'll never get one. And then you move on to the next town. Well, and that, it happens all over again. <laughs> that's where we meet Ducky and Bunny, yes, two yes. additional new characters, um, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. They were great and brought so much humor <laughs> to the film. Tell us about bringing them on and creating their characters. They were fantastic to work with. And we were lucky enough that we only recorded them together every time. So we very rarely record two actors at the same time, but we were able to get them together every single time. The benefit of that is that those two know each other so well that they can look at each other and you can see in the room, they know what the other person's going to say ahead of time. And so a lot of their improvs in the movie are straight up from the session. We're just putting them right in there the way they were because they have this natural flow that feels like these two guys have been stuck together for so long. And so even like there's a part where they sing a song in the movie that whole song was improvised, and it sounds like it's something they've sung a million times, but they just improvised it there on the spot. We use about 30 seconds of it. I think the song like five minutes. We could do a, a longer cut of that if we had to, yeah. <laughs> and every take that they would do, too, would be completely different. They'd stick with the script and, and what was needed, yeah. but they would riff on it, and they would bring something really new. So it was a challenge for the editor to even pick the best line because there was so much gold in there. No, no, Lightyear. Hey, up here, Astro Boy. If you think you can just show up and take our top prize spot, you're wrong. Dead wrong. You don't understand. I'm trying to Cheat get... Cheat the system and get with a kid? Yeah, we know. No, I need... A to... child to shower you with unconditional love? Join the club, pal. Yeah, join the club. Come on, help me get out of here. I'll help you. With my foot. Get him. Oh, get him. Uh, Bunny, what are you doing? Mm. I, I can't reach him. Help me out here. Come on. Oh, sorry, Ducky. I'm not a mind reader, you know. What, what's not to understand? Hmm? You make me say it? What? With these tiny legs, I cannot reach without your help. Oh. All right? Okay. This is what I've been talking about, Bunny. You need to work on paying attention and your listening skills. Ha! <laughs> How you like that, cheetah? Huh? Wow! Yeah! Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, to infinity and my foot! It's so rare in animation to have a kind of true spontaneity. You know, it's so orchestrated, everything we do, and we try to make it, of course, feel like it's the myth of spontaneity. And those guys, I think, helped us because oh. they could just, like, on the spot, bring real, like, truth to it. So it's not just funny, it was really truthful. I mean, the whole idea of these guys being stuck up there and yet having their imaginations are so vivid because in their minds they've just had to create their own world because they're never getting out of there. They were able to take that to, I think, levels we didn't... Oh, never. We, we could never, never have imagined, imagined yeah. yeah. And these characters have a moral compass, which was defined by just the carnival workers cheating kids out of yeah. money in front of them all day long. And, and so they bring a lot, that brings a lot of humor to the film. Mark, okay. my dad was a carnival worker. Oh, sorry. So, except for him. I still can't believe we got away with it. There's some. <laughs> I never thought it would last, but it's so fun. Well, let's talk about another new character. Really enjoyed Duke Kaboom, Duke. Yes. who is a evil Knievel-like toy yeah. uh, voiced by Keanu Reeves. Yes. Uh, we had this idea for this character of, of Duke Kaboom, Canada's greatest stuntman, and we only looked at Canadian actors for the role. And the way we were doing it is just listening to voices, not even looking at the faces of the actor or their names. We just wanted to kind of do a very a cold audition. And uh, when we heard his voice, it was a line that we didn't know was him, but we asked him to stop and... We all raised our hand on that. Reed sounds incredible. Who is that? And they said, it's Keanu Reeves. We started laughing, but we're like, well, he's never going to do it. But let's, let's just ask. Let's see what happens. So we asked. And before he said yes, he said, I would love to come up and meet you guys. So we had lunch together in the Pixar atrium. And he was asking these incredible questions that I was not prepared for. Because I thought of Duke Kaboom just kind of as a side gag at first. 
but he was asking these questions like, um, what is he afraid of? Like, what does he, what is it, what does he really fear? Like, and yeah. just amazing character questions. And so we just kind of brainstormed the character right there in the moment to the point where he said, well, he's, he's an action figure and he does poses, right? Or, yeah. And he started going, huh, ha, huh, and just kind of doing poses as he's doing these effort noises. And to the point where he got so excited by it that he stood up on the table and went, I'm Duke Kaboom, and started posing. And everybody in the atrium is going, is that Keanu Reeves standing on the table? <laughs> Duke meet Woody. Woody meet Duke Kaboom, Canada's greatest stuntman. Huh. Oh, yeah. Huh. Huh. Yes. Huh? He's posing. Duke, Duke, we need Hold to. Hold on, one more. Oh yeah. That character is him. That is him, and I'm so glad he said yes because as I'm crying watching him do this, and I'm thinking, that's Duke Kaboom. There's no other way around it. Now, in a situation like that, was the look of the character already designed when you started casting, or yes. did yeah. he inspire? No, we had we had it designed already. It was actually a, a kind of a coincidence. We didn't realize his deep love for motorcycles and that he owned his own motorcycle company. That was something that just was kind of a, we just realized that when we met him and he came up, but that's just a great connection he's got with this character. Now, the animation has evolved since 1995's original Toy Story, but you use the advancements in a very subtle way. It still feels like the Toy Story world that we know. Would you talk about the approach to the animation? Yeah, there's definitely a style from even from the first Toy Story that just is the aesthetic of Toy Story, which is having exaggerated shapes down low towards the ground because that's where the toys are. That's where you're going to be. So everything kind of feels bigger down there. Having theatrical lighting, also just realistic textures. The more our technology grows, the more realistic those textures look and, and feel. And so we wanted to make sure that we stuck with that because even though, the like I was saying, the technology grows, you don't want to make everything all of a sudden feel realistic. So that was the big thing was important, making sure this felt like a Toy Story movie, but also felt like something you haven't seen before. Why don't we talk a bit about Bo Peep and how her look evolved? Because, again, you had some really subtle things that you did with her character in this one. A lot of love went into Bo Peep. You know, we had the chance to kind of reintroduce her as a character. She's been out of the picture, out of Woody's life for nine years. And so this idea came along story-wise that she's living this lost toy life out there. She's out there getting played with sort of on her own terms. And that was intriguing to us. And it helped us really look deep at her character and her design and her costume to see maybe how that would have changed over time. And there was a group within our crew made up of story people and animators and cloth folks and kind of every discipline that surrounded Bo and became sort of a brain trust to us on Bo Peep because they cared so much about this character and making her kind of the strong, um, independent, interesting, you know, multidimensional character that really fashioned this really kind of smart outfit. You know, she's this cross between porcelain and fragile, but she's also kind of an, an adventurer out there. She's a survivor and she has to be out there living kind of a hard life out there in the world. And so a lot of love and attention went into Bo Peep. What you just said, she is made of porcelain, so that would, you know, by definition, restrict some of her movement. But yet she had to do a lot of physical activity and, you know, running and jumping in this film. How did you find that balance? Well, one of the things we've always talked about when animating any of these characters is truth in materials, you know, so that you want to honor that Woody's a floppy cowboy doll and Buzz is made of plastic and rigid and she's 
porcelain and fragile. And I think that the delta between what you think a porcelain doll can do and what we did was exactly what we had to find. So we relied on the animators to push it as far as we could go before we, you know, there may have been a few shots where ah, you don't buy the weight of that or that, or that didn't feel right, but just enough torque on, on a shot that it felt like she could still bend and reach and jump and not break. And then of course what we do is we show that she doesn't care if she, she breaks. She, she knows who she is. And so it was part acting and I think just part character and writing that she's actually not afraid to Woody's dismay in the audience. Like she just forges ahead. I'd say it's a combo of, of those two things. We wanted to make sure that she wasn't just a ninja to be a ninja. Like she couldn't jump off a building and land like Thor or something like that. She would just shatter, right? So we wanted to show how smart she was in her, every footstep. Like she knows what she's made of. So she's going to be careful about how she does it. She's going to use her staff in a way to not only help launch her somewhere, but also help kind of cushion the blow as well. So every kind of thought into how she moves, how she dresses, what she's made of was all thought of for quite a while. I wanted to talk about Mr. Potato Head a little bit. Now, he was voiced by Don Rickles, who passed away in 2017. Yes. How did you handle his voice? Well, you know, he's such a part of Toy Story, and, and there's no way we could have made the movie without Mr. Potato Head. So with the permission, actually, of his estate, his family and, and management, we crafted Luckily for us, we have hours and hours and hours of Don Rickles recording sessions from not only the films, but from some of the theme park attractions he was able to do, and even the, the toys and things. Ice capades. <laughs> the ice shows, you name it. And so we just, our editorial team kind of dove in and pulled uh, stuff so that we could craft a little bit of a performance to have him in the film. So we were pleased we were able to do that, because you can't have Toy Story without... Tom Rickles. <laughs> Especially since he signed on to... Yeah, he had signed, he had signed on. signed on before. Yeah. We got a little tribute to him, too, in the end credits in this film, just because, yeah, he's meant so much to this movie for so many years. You mentioned editorial and all animated movies. Yeah. There's always changes that take place along the way. What would you say was the biggest change? Was the ending always the ending? <laughs> the ending wasn't always the ending. I would say that was the biggest change that actually kind of... We went, oh, this is a deeper movie than we first anticipated. When we didn't have an ending like that, it felt like another adventure. It didn't have the weight of earning the title of Toy Story 4. Could you tell us what the original ending was? We had so many different versions. You know, we kind of made a whole list of what's every version of the ending. And we had one version that was emotional, which was Bo was going to come back with Woody to Bonnie. And then uh, because of what was set up earlier, she saw this little girl in the carnival that she knew would want her. And at that point, Bo, at the beginning of the movie, never wanted to be with a kid again. And then, because of her interaction with Woody, decided, I would like to be with a kid. And I see that this other child would want me more than Bonnie would. And so Woody gave up his chance to go back home with Bonnie to help her get with this other girl. And it was really emotional. It was really nice. But it didn't complete Woody's arc as a character. And that's what this movie, the most important thing for me was making sure that this felt like it was one, two, three, and four, and this is Woody's story. So the ending we have now, I think, really completes Woody's arc. Yeah, and I remember that felt, that version, because it, really, it was really good, but it did feel more like, oh, Woody came in and changed Bo a little bit and helped her, yeah. and we realized, no, it needs to be she changes him, right? She's the one that kind of, and you said it like really well, she has to be the catalyst for his true change. We've seen Woody change through these three pictures, but his real change was only when he met her for the second time. And I think when we realized that story math, that was what led us to this ending. You can't do it unless you end it this way. 
Let's talk about the music a little bit. Yeah. Two new songs from Randy Newman. Yeah. Yes. He's a genius. I don't use that term lightly. He is a genius, not only musically, but comically. He's amazing. He's a great storyteller. I mean, he really is. Yeah. Pretty early on, we went and met with him and, and just pitched him the story so that he could really start soaking it in and start to think about some of the new themes that he might write for some of these new characters. And and he, he really he really loved it and really connected with it and was really, mm-hmm. really pleased. And so he just poured so much into this score. We couldn't be prouder with the score that he wrote. And a couple new original songs in this one, including one that's over the end credits. Yeah, we got Chris Stapleton to sing it, and Randy wrote it. And Randy, by the way, proclaimed, like, this is a hit. <laughs> yeah, he, he <laughs> would tell us. Part. I'm like, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing is, the, I would say that the day that I realized that we were making a Toy Story film, was when we were on the scoring stage for the very first day and we were watching the the big screen and listening to the orchestra and the very first cue i started crying because that's when it hit me we already recorded tom hanks and tim allen everybody else but to finally see it come together and hearing that randy's music is what really made me realize what we were doing how was it working with tom hanks and tim allen and the original cast members returning to work on this film it was wonderful It it was great they were so supportive and so willing to try anything. And also, they've been doing these characters for 25 years, and so they come with so much knowledge and insight, and also just, I can ask them, does this feel right? This, and it, we rework things right there in the moment. I remember at the end of the movie, this is probably the last thing we did with Tom, we had written this kind of long thing that he was explaining what he was doing, I don't wanna give anything away, but he was explaining to everybody how he was feeling, what he was doing, and we were struggling to, to record it, and it wasn't until I got back to edit and we realized we didn't need it at all. There was just something that, that with Tom going like, I don't know, this doesn't feel quite right, and and if we hadn't done that, if, we, if he had just recorded it straight and hadn't said anything, I don't know how it would have felt, but it was because of Tom that it was like, oh, I think he's onto something. He didn't feel it, and I wasn't feeling it, so. I found that the cast generally, it was really nice to experience this because we're so protective of Toy Story at Pixar. You know, they're like family to us. And I was really pleased to see that, oh, that's how the cast feels. Annie and Blake Clark doing Slinky. You know, everybody feels like this is theirs ownership to it, you know? And so they brought that, I found, to the booth. And it was it was really reassuring because they weren't just doing it to read the 10 lines and leave. Like, they love these characters. They're all really thoughtful uh, that's yeah. that's what my feeling yeah. was. Early on, we brought Tom and Annie up to Pixar to record, and they recorded together. And that's that's rare for us. We usually record these actors yeah. and they one never at a time. And Tom and Annie, neither of them had ever recorded with another actor for a Toy Story film or anything else. But we wanted them in the booth. We knew that this relationship between Woody and Bo Peep in this film needed to be just right. We needed that chemistry for them to really feel that. And so to put them face-to-face opposite each other, recording their lines together in all of their scenes was, was a pretty special moment. And just to hear them just talk with each other about the history of these characters and how it's been in their lives for 25 years. I think Annie was saying she was pregnant with uh, her first child when she was first recording on the original Toy Story. Now they're 25 years older, and it's great. It's, it's like a trip down memory lane for these guys. Josh, where were you when the first Toy Story came out? I was in high school, actually, but I was uh, with my brother. We went to the movie theater and saw it. And uh, I've always wanted to work in animation. I wanted to be an animator for Disney, 2D animator. And seeing this 3D movie kind of blew my mind. And also just remember that at the time, everything before that was kind of a musical and, and a princess movie. 
and uh, a very clear villain for the film. And then Toy Story came out and completely changed all of that. Since Woody's world expanded so much in this film, it seems that you have opportunities now for other stories. But the movie also delivered a very satisfying end to Woody's story. So will we hear more from Woody and Buzz and the gang? Well, we've talked a lot about this. I mean, the story as we've laid it out to us, I think the three of us would agree that we feel satisfied that that's the end of, of Woody's arc, you know, Woody's story. Toy Story is about Woody. And so we sort of feel like that's the, that's the bookend. Like, I feel like right? he's complete. Yeah. But it's a big world. There's a lot of characters. I mean, we're doing some other, some yeah, other fun uh, We're doing some forky short films that are for Disney Plus right now. Ten short films that star Tony Hale's character, Forky, that'll, that'll release in November. So there may be other lives for some of these characters. But in terms of the feature films, we kind of set out for this to be really the completion of Woody's arc. Thank you Thank so you. much for joining us and coming down today. Great it's an honor to be here. You. It really is. Yes, we we, we cool. really appreciate it. Congratulations on the film. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you very much. I was a lonesome cowboy. But not a